Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I recognise that for many of us that will be those that are saying, yeah, I, I want to live more characterised by this invitation, and this invitation Matthew 11, which I'm just going to read to us again, where Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Like for me, I always come back to this passage and feel like it's a good one to start off a new year in because the invitation is to have a life characterized by rest but like rest in the deepest place, rest for our souls in the very core of our being, that we know that deep sense of rest, that it isn't about that we've got something to prove or we've got to achieve something or we've got to prove that we're okay because of what we've done. No, no, it's that we get to live from a place where from the very depth of our being, we know rest. And therefore, the key question is then, well, how do we then live like that? So we can have moments like this, can't we, where we feel like, hey, it feels good, we're kind of gathered together, we kind of get that moment of just coming and say, yeah, I just can see it, I'm going to give you, God, the things that I'm anxious about, the things that I'm hoping for, the things that I'm regretting, I kind of give that in this moment, and then Andy live, kind of leads us in some songs, and we kind of gradually, our hearts warm up, and we think, if only Andy was with me at home every day, and then if life would be all right, maybe he could accompany me throughout my day, and other people were listening on their headphones, and I could say, oh, no, I just have my own guitarist who follows me around. And we think, then, then life would work. I'd kind of get to live in this. But um, one is there's only one Andy Gordon, so he'd have to take it in turns. Um, but two is I, I just don't think that's what Jesus meant. I think there's a different way that he's wanting us to live, to be invited to do. And I think the key is actually where he says, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And a yoke is like an object that would have joined two oxen together. And so they were therefore going in the same direction. And Jesus invites us, he doesn't place it on us, he invites us to remember that now if we've centered our lives on Jesus, we're those now that are joined to him, and therefore are we going to live in step, in pace with how he longs to live our lives? I love it, John Marcoma kind of talks about how um, we need to each work out that Jesus longs to live your life to live my life. That's what this verse is going on about. Like, he longs for us to know that he wants to live our lives with us. It's not him pulling us into a different way of life. No, he wants to live your life with you. And therefore, it's like figuring out, like, well, what does that look like? And what I want to do is, like, give us um, eight practices. At this point, you're thinking, oh, no, I thought we were talking about rest, lightness, and immediately talk about eight practices. That's eight too many. Just hang in there, because remember, I promised you this is about liberation, and it's about lightness. But I want to give us eight practices or strategies or ways of living. It's what I call kind of uh, the way to live centered. 
You know, I often talk about the pause, the center, and the continue. That's how we can seek to live in the good of everything that Jesus has for us. And often I kind of get people come and say, well, great, I can pause. And then I center and I think, like, well, what are you going to do then at that centering? And then I continue. And I know Will and Emily earlier, uh, or not earlier this year, last year, in 2021, it doesn't feel possible. It all feels a mash, doesn't it? It still feels like Saturday to me. Um, it's been Saturday for seven days now. And... Uh, it somehow is 2022, but I remember Will and Emily kind of talking to me, saying, I think, I know that you live with some things, but could you kind of communicate more? Could you help us understand more of like, what does it mean then to live that way that's centered? And I don't often like to talk about things that I do. And therefore I thought, well, I'll tell you what I've discovered some things of what I think Jesus did. And ways that Jesus lived, I think he's longing for us to then see, define how we live. And I wonder if it's that that it means to be yoked to him. So eight practices, ways that actually are not about me, they're about Jesus. So firstly, the first one is being sustained. Jesus is one who was continually sustained by his relationship with the Father and Spirit. And his invitation, therefore, is for us to live the same way. Just to also explain that these eight practices I'm going to whiz through, you're going to see some Bible passages like come up. I'd say make a note of them because I'm not going to be looking at them in detail. They're there for you to go away and think, okay, what do I think of this? Um, the other thing you're going to find out is because I had time to play with this, they all begin with S. Uh, just I thought that'd be fun. Uh, so it's eight S's. Now, in it, at the end, just to also say that one of the things we're going to go on to do this year is we're going to have a couple of moments of gathering together as a kind of learning community online to look at these eight practices, ways, strategies to help us. Uh, and so we're going to do that in an eight-week kind of Zoom format where we'll learn together. But first one then, sustained. John 15, if you've ever looked at it, which I have, if you were to break it down, Jesus is there referring and revealing what it means to be his follower, his disciple, what it means to be to be abiding and joined to him. And what you discover is around 70% of that chapter is about being, and 30% is about doing. And I think that is a big kind of light bulb moment of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be kind of connected, to be yoked to him, and that it is more about being than doing. It's more about understanding that we are therefore sustained as he was, which means that in being sustained, it means that we are sustained in Jesus, that Jesus is our identity, the basis of our identity. And it's out of the basis of that identity, it means that we have nothing to prove. It also means that we're sustained by the Spirit. That it isn't that Jesus left us alone. It isn't that, like he said, right, here you go. Here's the life you've got to live. Now use all the energy you have within yourself to kind of live this way. He said, no, no, I send the Spirit to come and dwell within you to lead you into the life that I have for you. And therefore, for me, I find that the Holy Spirit then does become what Jesus promised. He is my comforter, my counselor. He's the advocate for me. He's one who is empowering me, causing me to know and live more and more in the reality that God is my father and that he unconditionally, continuously loves me, which means that I have nothing to prove. So first one, sustained. Second one, scripture. Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus says this, you cannot live by bread alone, but on 
the word of God. During our Jonah stories, we kind of used it as a way of saying, let's, let's just boost our practice of scripture. Why? Because reading scripture is what truly feeds us. It's through the word of God that we get to understand more of who God is, more of his plans and desires and designs for the whole of creation, and then who we are as a tiny, tiny part of it, and how he catches us up in the wonder of who he is and gives us this deep sense of purpose that goes on not just for the now, but for eternity. And therefore, the Bible is one... The Bible is there to bring us joy, strength, wisdom, that it transforms our thinking and therefore our actions. Therefore, the time, we're invited to then take time over Scripture to give time to think through, like, what are we going to read? When are we going to read it? And how are we going to read it? So second, that's Scripture. Third one, slowing down. Luke 10, 38, 42, which tells the story of Jesus on the way to Jerusalem Stopping off to have dinner with Mary and Martha. There is so much you can look at in that story. But in it, what you find is that Jesus, what we have to remember is, comes into the wonder of what he's here to do three years before he goes to the cross to die and then be resurrected. And in this point where he goes to Martha's and Mary's house, it's the point where he set his eyes on Jerusalem knowing it's the cross and the cross alone that he's going to. And yet, what you discover is one who continuously lives slowing down. He's never racing anyway. See, there's two things I notice is that one is that Jesus is always unhurried. If I knew I had three years to accomplish everything I was meant to, I'd just be like sprinting around everywhere. To be honest, I'd probably just spend each day making a new to-do list and like being stressed with everyone around me. And yet Jesus was never in a hurry, always had time for people. You have to read the gospel accounts to discover like moments where he's being asked to go to one person's house to bring, to rescue a situation. And then on the way there kind of stops off to kind of make time for someone else who needs rescuing. Like he's unhurried, but also he's one who's deeply present. It's what he commends Mary for being, is deeply present. See, when we slow down, it means that we're present in that moment. Like how often we, do we happen to be in a moment, maybe even this moment, where we're thinking about what's been or what's going to be? And yet Jesus invites us and says, no, I want you to live a life where you're present in the now. Like, how does that transform, like, how we interact with one another? How we get to savor and enjoy the moment that we're in of what Jesus wants to teach us within the circumstances that we're facing? See, that needs to impact our diaries. It means that we have to build margins into them. If your diary is one where you're continuously saying, look how I've aced this, literally maximized every minute possible, I put to you that you're not allowing space for things that aren't planned. That you're not allowing space to live unhurried and present. I think also we need to understand that in slowing down, it reminds us that we've all got a finite capacity I promise you, every single one of us has a capacity 
Some of us, we may feel like we've got a very big capacity. Some of us will think, no, I know, I've got a very tiny capacity. It doesn't matter, we're, we're all finite beings. And therefore, let's live like that. And the last thing I say is it means that in the day and age we live in, we just have to make tech work for us. I think technology is continuously pushing us to live faster. The fact that you can see it in terms of social media, that Facebook started with this um, way of everyone writing stuff. And then it got to this point where people were like, I I can't face reading that. And so just send me a photo. And there was a photo with an explanation. And then it was like, no, I can't even bother dealing with the the, the deal of what you're explaining. I just want something, an image that I can look at in order that I can just scan information as quickly as possible, awesomeize what I need to from this. And it's like that tells the story of like where we've got to. Like tech is continuously trying to push us faster, which Jesus calls us to slow down. Fourth one, silence and solitude. You find this in Mark 1, 35 and Mark 6, 6, 16, 17. And with this, I link prayer and fasting. Jesus was at home in the crowds. If you read Mark 1, you find him just from one situation to the next, to the next, to the next, just amongst crowds. And then he just gets to this point and then withdraws and is alone in solitude and silence. And when you look at the gospel accounts, you find that he's one who just seems to bounce in and out of the city. He's like in the city one minute and then outside of the city, just knowing that moment of silence and solitude. And he invites us to do the same in Matthew 6. When Jesus talks to us about prayer, he says, go lock yourself away from everything else. You see, I've discovered I don't like silence. Like, it's been a journey for about 10 years now. I remember going to the cinema, and uh, it's a cinema that doesn't, no longer exists, but in it, they somehow trademarked uh, the phrase, silence is golden, and I was watch, about to watch this film, and their trademark came up, the name of their cinema brand, and silence is golden. And as I went there, I just thought, I don't know if I truly believe that. Like, I realized that I just filled my life with noise. I was either with people, and when I wasn't with people, I had headphones on listening to stuff. I even went to sleep listening to Radio 4 just because it would send me to sleep. I just liked there to be noise. And what I discovered is that when I tried to remove the noise, it actually got more noisy. Because what I was left with was what was inside my head. And what I realized is the invitation to silence is an invitation to face the stuff that's really going on at the deeper level. And I thought that's been a deeply rewarding thing, though painful of finding in the silence that invitation of Jesus to come and give him the burdens that I suddenly discover I'm living with. But also within the silence is then solitude of going and shutting yourself away. Now, in terms of that shutting yourself away, it isn't just shut yourself away and look at the walls. It's actually we do something. I say it's prayer and fasting. In terms of prayer, it's that prayer that all we looked at in 2020 in our prayer series of contemplation, lament, petition, protection, peace, submission, thanksgiving, blessing, and breakthrough. And I think the other thing we're invited to do, liberated to do, is fast. I love it that when Jesus talks about fasting, he just says, when you fast. Like, I love that to us as a Western audience. It isn't like, like, what's the rules here? Like, what days, like, should we? And we mentioned, you know, we're now those that are post-Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We live in that. We live liberated. So it's fasting for us. And Jesus says, I don't know, when you fast, 
So therefore, there's an assumption that we're going to do it. And with fasting, what I've discovered is it's a deeply profound invitation. We're invited in our liberty to choose to go without. We live in a culture where we have so much. Now, I recognize for some, particularly as everything is pinching at the moment, we are finding we're having less and less. And I want you to know that we're here to care for you, if that is the case. But for many of us, we have lots. Therefore, we have the beauty of being able to go without. See, when we fast, it causes us to focus. It causes us to hunger, because we physically feel hungry if we're going without food, or we suddenly realize that we are hungry for coffee, or we are hungry for watching television. We realize that with that hunger, maybe we may be hungry for something else. It illuminates things in our life. It causes us to realize that something that we just thought we did actually is something that we've begun to kind of base more hope on than we thought we had. I think there's a mystery in it. And it also causes us to simplify, which gets me on to the fifth one, simplicity. Matthew 6, 19 to 34. You only have to look at how Jesus and his friends, disciples lived to realize they just lived simply. And Jesus' invitation was to live lightly. And I think that's an immense challenge. I find it personally an immense challenge in our society. See, we live within a society where we're promised that more is better. And the more isn't necessarily consuming kind of products, it's the more in terms of experiences, it's the more in terms of holidays, it's the more in terms of relationships. And what Jesus says is, no, no, the more's never gonna deliver, I am. And therefore, there's this invitation to live with simplicity. I think that then impacts us individually in what we consume, in the rhythms that we live with, in the diaries that we build, in the ways that we interact with technology. It causes us to think, like, how am I going to live more simply? And that doesn't mean, like, I kind of, kind of see how someone else lives and compare myself to them. That's not what it is. It's about, remember, Jesus, you're wanting to show me how you live my life. Therefore, what does it look like for me to live more simply, which is going to look differently to you? I also wonder whether it becomes something that then we're able to impact the world around us. I wonder whether this invitation to simplicity is one that's actually calling us to be salt and light to the world around, that actually is getting more and more sick of consuming. And the beauty of what we offer isn't that actually in simplifying you'll find peace. But rather, in finding peace in Jesus, you get to simplify. Immensely, immensely profound. Sixth one, sharing. Mark 6, 32 to 44. Matthew 26, 36 to 38. Matthew 17, 1 to 13. Jesus is one who loved to share of himself and with others. That's what you discover. Jesus is one who just shared who he is. You see, in terms of him, Jesus sharing of himself, you see it supremely in terms of him going to the cross. But you see it in many, many other moments. I often think back to the moment where we see the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But the feeding of the 5,000 was preceded by Jesus hearing the news that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded. That deeply impacted him both relationally because of this being a family member, but also it bringing into sharp focus his destiny, 
And in that moment, you find that Jesus then says, having been around the crowds, like takes his closest friends off to be alone. And then it says the crowds figure out where he's going and race ahead. And then Jesus, seeing them, is so moved, he gives of himself again. Jesus is one who shared of himself. But he's also one who shares with others. You find it supremely in terms of how God is relational, that God is triune, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And Jesus continuously is communing with the Father and the Spirit. But also he shares with others, with his friends, his disciples. You see it in moments of the transfiguration where he invites three of his closest to come and to experience what he lives with in terms of relationship with the Father and Spirit. You see, in another moment where he knows he's at his most bleak and darkest time, as he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and invites his friends to be with him. There's loads of other stuff we could look at in terms of that and how they then failed in being with him. But it shows that Jesus is one that shared of himself, but also with others. And I think that's a good pattern for us to live with. The danger is, though, if we just share of ourselves. See, sometimes you think, oh, yeah, what it is, you know, pick up your cross. Therefore, I just need to continuously give out to others. If you do that, you'll burn out. Jesus didn't live like that. But if we simply just say, well, we're going to just live with others. We've got others who we share life with. We get to hear who they are. They get to hear who we are. All we have form is a clique, a really nice clique. We have to live with the balance of sharing of ourselves and sharing with others. And I think the key in this, and I think we're invited this coming year to discover this more and more, is hospitality. See, hospitality is the place where we open our homes, our tables, and our lives. And in that place, we get to experience what it is to share of ourselves with others and to share with others and so this coming year we're going to do a whole series on hospitality and just look at the wonder of the God who is a God of hospitality and how that then shapes us seventh one two more to go Sabbath Matthew 12 8 Mark 2 27 Jesus is the king the lord of the Sabbath and he's one who practiced it Sabbath is the call to live weekly with a rhythm of daily rest. A.J. Swoboda, who wrote the best book I've read, and I've read many, many books on Sabbath, uh, he says this, Sabbath is a celebration, a day of rejoicing over the goodness of what has been made and who made it. I don't know what you think Sabbath is, but that's what I think Sabbath is. That it's a call that one day a week, you realize the world doesn't spin because of you being in it, that God keeps the world spinning. And we're invited in that day to celebrate in the wonder of who God is, how he defines us, how he created the world to enjoy, and how we get to share that with others. What I'd say is it needs planning, and it does us good. Jesus says, you're yoked to me. Part of that rest is to live weekly with Sabbath. Eighth one, sacraments. Mark 1 uh, 9 to 11, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, and 26 to 26 uh, to 29. We are sensory people. 
And God created us that way to encounter us within our senses. And the sacraments allow us to do that. Baptism and communion. In baptism, it's that moment of receiving that continual reminder that now we are forever in Jesus. We receive the promise that it's not about us, it's all about him. And we get to now know that we have died to who we were and now live in him forever. That's why baptism is so important. It's not about all the other stuff we put around it. No, no, it's literally a sign. It's a physical moment of going under the water, coming out. In order that that one moment we look back on, and whenever I see someone get baptized, sometimes when I go in the swimming pool, I'll go, and as I go under the water, I remember the moment I was baptized. In that physical moment, thinking, I'm forever in you, Jesus. It's never about me. It's all about you. It does me the world of good. The other one is communion, where we physically receive through the bread and the juice the wonder of who Jesus is. And we do it together. It's so important to do it together. Why? Because we remember we all come in equal needs and we all come receiving the equal blessing. But also we all come remembering the wonder of what Jesus has done. The wonder of what Jesus wants to do in this moment and the wonder of what Jesus will do. That he has the final say. One day we will meet and feast with him for eternity. And therefore, communion is so, so important. And in terms of that, particularly in baptism, Mike actually is going to be doing a a kind of four-week course, I think it is, in January, just looking at the wonder of what baptism is, uh, just for people to enjoy. So that's my way that is centered. Eight practices. I know you're concerned, man. Is he going to go on for like 80 minutes? I could do. I could go on for eight hours. I'm not going to do that uh, as... Tom had brought a jigsaw in the room uh, just in case I did thousand piece and he said, you know, am I going to go that long? Well, not today, but maybe next time. Um, As I said, this isn't though to hear eight practices and think, oh, I thought it was lightness and all I feel is condemnation or all I feel is weight. No, no, remember, we're yoked to Jesus And his promise is through this is for us to be liberated to live lives of deep rest from the core of our beings. And therefore, the invitation is to remember, this is a lifelong journey. It's not about saying, like, how do I get all these eight now? No, it's about saying, what's the one that I need to enjoy more now? Like, what am I going to give myself? And I'd leave us, therefore, with two questions to discuss in small groups over this coming week. The first one is this. Which area, which one of those S's do you feel strongest in? And I'd ask you to share with others in your small group what you've learned in that area. Why? Because we're meant to learn together. It isn't like someone's like the the expert on this. I know we're all yoked to Jesus. He's the expert. We just get to learn from him and share with others what we've learned, which helps everyone. Second one, which area would you like to grow in over the next six months? And what do you think might help you? Just one, one of those eight. What is the one that you think, yeah, that's the thing I want to give myself to? And then lastly, as I said, we'll be doing a couple of times this year, just looking at these eight practices over Zoom. It's a learning hub community where I just get to share something more in terms of flesh and bones around it, some of the practicalities of how you do it, and then us all share stuff in order that we can then learn it, the following week practice it, and then move on. So we'll be doing that. But for this moment, I'm just going to read Matthew 11. 28 to 38, 30 again. And then I'm going to pray for us to end. 
Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus, I thank you for the profound wonder of these verses and the invitation they continuously offer us. And I want to just pray for us as your family, as your body. I pray, would we receive that invitation afresh today? And I pray, would we live more characterized by that this coming year? I pray, God, would we live individually as those who are shaped as of living from a place of rest from the deepest part of our beings. And I pray, God, that anything of what I've shared, those eight practices, I pray, God, they would begin to shape us in order that we live more, not heavily, but lightly, as you're longing for us to live. And as we live more shaped like that, I pray, God, that it would shape and change those that we come into contact with. As I God, I pray for this moment now. I pray, would we go, knowing we go in this moment to be salt and light into every area, causing others to taste and see the deep rest that's on offer. Amen.